0: I'm Amber Mack and welcome to The Amber Mack Show. I want to start today's episode on misinformation with a quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's not just because my family made me watch Predator for the very first time this weekend. Here's what the former governor, Mr. Olympia, and the Terminator said on his Facebook page this past weekend, and I quote, Dr. Fauci and all the virologists and epidemiologists and doctors have studied diseases and vaccines for their entire lives. So I listen to them and I urge you to do the same. None of us are going to learn more than them by watching a few hours of videos. It's simple. If your house is on fire, you don't go to YouTube. You call the damn fire department. If you have a heart attack, you don't check your Facebook group. You call an ambulance. If nine doctors tell you you have cancer and need to treat it or you will die, and one doctor says the cancer will disappear, you should always side with the nine. In this case, virtually all of the real experts around the world are telling us the vaccine is safe. And some people on Facebook are saying it isn't. In general, I think if the circle of people you trust gets smaller and smaller, and you find yourself more and more isolated, it should be a warning sign that you're going down a rabbit hole of misinformation. Some people say it is weak to listen to experts. That's bogus. It takes strength to admit you don't know everything. Weakness is thinking you don't need expert advice and only listening to sources that confirm what you want to believe. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger on his Facebook page. And now speaking of expert advice, for today's episode on misinformation, I called up Timothy Caulfield, professor of health law and science policy, a well-known speaker, TV host, and author. I wanted to share a quote from you. Misinformation is a dire, imminent threat to the lives of all Canadians and is proven to be one of the factors fueling COVID-19 infections and dissuading Canadians from getting vaccinated. Let's kind of unpack that statement. Where are we at today?
1: Uh, misinformation is a huge problem. And, and there's good evidence, good evidence to back that up. Uh, there's evidence that misinformation has led to deaths, hospitalizations, um, uh, an increase in stigma and discrimination. It's had an adverse impact on health and science policy. You know, the hydroxychloroquine debacle is a really, really good example of that. And, And Amber, the other thing is that misinformation is just also adding to this chaotic information environment that we have. And we know from, again, good research that's emerging, that that chaotic information environment can also have a really, really harmful effect. Uh, It it makes it more difficult for people to tease out what's real and what's not real. And and one of the tangible harms that we're seeing right now, right now, and that that is in the area of vaccination acceptance. And look, you know, a lot of Canadians, they have very understandable concerns and questions about about the vaccine. We have to listen to them and get a sense of what those, those issues are. But we also know, again, from research, that misinformation is also driving a a large degree of the hesitancy. So, look, Amber, dealing with misinformation right now, an incredibly, an incredibly important uh, policy challenge.
0: Also, we know that the World Health Organization has declared that the rise in misinformation is, in fact, a global Infodemic, and it represents a real threat. When we talk about misinformation, historically, when did this really get out of control?
1: Yeah, look, that's a really good question because, of course, of course, misinformation has been around probably forever. <laughs> probably forever. You know, uh, I'm sure the Australopithecus were were spreading lies about each other. But what we've really seen is. Uh, I think, I think social media. Social media was a defining shift in how misinformation is, has been spread. Look at right, even right now, it's not the only source of misinformation, but there's this growing body of research that has highlighted the degree to which it's having an impact. It's allowed these information silos to occur, it's increased the power of confirmation bias. This is the tendency for us to find information that, cons- that confirms our, our preconceived notions. And the other thing it's done is it's allowed the creation of these, of these communities that get their information from each other. And there's really interesting research, Amber, that talks about how it, someone who is like you, someone who's like you is, is viewed as being uh, as persuasive, as trustworthy, as an expert. And of course, social media allows you to find a lot of people like you, which enhances the spread of misinformation and also unfortunately may make it more difficult for us to fight misinformation.
0: You know, I was really disturbed to see this recent study from Carleton University saying that almost half of the people surveyed may in fact believe one or more COVID-19 related conspiracy theories. So I'd like to talk about that, but maybe first we should talk about what is a conspiracy theory in in relation to misinformation?
1: Um, well, that, that was a great uh, study. It was actually one of my colleagues, Josh Greenberg uh, from Carleton, one of one of the the lead authors on that. And, and I think just the topics that that they covered is you know provides a really good example of the kind of misinformation we're talking about. The idea that five uh, G technology is is a cause, and of course that's a that's a conspiracy theory. That this idea that there is this nefarious agenda associated with five G that is going to cause Uh, the spread of of COVID. You know, the belief that hydroxychloroquine is effective despite the body of evidence that says it's not. Another good example uh, in their study. Their study also highlighted the idea that many Canadians, I think it's like 26%, if you can believe it, uh, at one point believed that uh, COVID was the result of a Uh, bioweapon. And then you have these other kinds of conspiracy theories. One of my favorite examples is the fact that 28%, 28% of Americans believe the Bill Gates conspiracy theory. And this is the idea that Bill Gates, I mean, this is a hardcore conspiracy theory, the idea that Bill Gates started uh, the pandemic in order to force vaccination in order to get microchips in us. Now, we have to be careful not to overinterpret this kind of survey data. But it really gives you a sense of of the degree to which these really fringe ideas have kind of moved to the center, kind of been normalized. And there's a large percentage of the population that is at least open, at least open to these conspiracy theories.
0: It's so frightening because I think about the early days of the internet, and one of the things that I think many of us believed in those early days is that this was going to be a platform for truth, right? There was that, that power in thinking that finally we can get the truth about everything if we wanted. And in the early days of the internet, we really didn't have to fight misinformation to the same extent. So I think to your point about social media really being that driving factor and that amplification, it appears to me that's where things have kind of boiled over, so to speak.
1: Uh, I think you're right. Um, it, it, that is for sure for sure the case where we have seen this the social media taking on uh, taking this role of information provider. I call it the knowledge paradox because we've never had this much access to knowledge. In addition to that, there's never been this much knowledge. But despite that, despite that, we're as confused as ever. And of course, part of that has to do with critical thinking skills. Part of that has to do with people exploiting the power of our cognitive biases and social media in order to push particular agendas, in order to push particular kinds of of misinformation. Um, And and also going back to what I said earlier, part of it is, and, and again, really interesting research talking about this, that chaotic information environment, when you have all that conflicting information out there, it can be very difficult to tease out what's not real and what's not real. And Amber, if I could just add one more thing here, the other thing about social media is it's a very frantic space, right? It doesn't really invite reflection. You know, it doesn't really invite um, critical thinking. It, 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 on the contrary, it, it invites you to think uh, quickly and act quickly. You know, you want to share, you, you want to, to uh, engage with others, uh, you want to get likes as quickly as possible. And, and so really interesting research has suggested that if we can just nudge people to pause, to, you know, to be calm, uh, to, to sort of embrace a culture of accuracy, we can make a real difference. Um, and there've been a number of studies that, that have shown exactly that. I know it sounds ridiculously simple, like a ridiculously simple strategy, but there is evidence it can work. So that's the other thing that we need to do. We just need to get people to pause and think about accuracy before they share. And evidence tells us if we get people to do that, we may have an impact on the spread of misinformation.
0: I think you're right, I mean, it is very impulsive, that desire to click share or like right away. Let's talk a little bit about possible solutions to curb the spread of misinformation. I know you had recently shared an article about what's happening in Finland right now with students in terms of fighting fake news in schools and what they're learning. Let's talk about that experience and what you learned from reading that article and what's going on in other parts of the world.
1: So the good news is, yeah, let's have some good news, right? The good news is, despite all, all of the bad stuff we've just talked about, um, critical thinking does work. You know, teaching critical thinking does work. And that article talked about that, right? You teach critical thinking at a very young age. And, and young people are able to learn critical thinking skills, and they're able to apply them. And there's been other studies. There was a fascinating study from Uganda that found exactly that. They taught 11-year-olds, I believe, critical thinking skills in the context of health they were able to learn them, uh, they were able to apply them. So that's that's good news. And there have been a lot of other studies that, that have shown that. So yes, yes, we have to teach critical thinking skills, media literacy skills also, and that can have an impact. But the other bit of good news is uh, we know that debunking works. You know, we know that countering misinformation does work. Uh, it may not seem like it because there's so much misinformation out there. It may seem futile. But if you look at it globally, uh, uh, countering m- misinformation um, can have an impact. And that means crafting the right kind of message, uh, getting that message on the right platforms, getting the message, you know, you want to meet the people where they are, right? So get that message in a, in a form that is meaningful to, to individuals. So we're talking TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. right? Let's get that message out there. And that message should be scientifically accurate. So reference trusted uh, sources. And, and the other thing it should do is it should highlight uh, the rhetorical tricks that are used to push misinformation. So that's just a conspiracy theory. That's just an anecdote. That's just testimonial. Uh, That is misrepresenting risk. You know, highlight the ways in which uh, it is, there's highlight the logic gaps, but also the rhetorical tricks that are used to, to push misinformation. And the other thing we want to do, and you're so good at this, Amber, is you want to use the creative strategies that those who push misinformation use. So we want to use narratives, right? We want to use stories. We want to use good images. We want to use all of those kinds of, of communication tools in order to get across the good stuff. And, and increasingly, the good news, last bit of good news is we're seeing more and more people do that, right? We're seeing more and more entities getting involved in this, in this battle, and, and that's great news.
0: I want to talk about Science Up First, and full disclosure, I am part of the steering committee and just honoured to be part of this incredible group of people. So, for people who are just hearing about this, uh, what is it?
1: So, hashtag Science Up First uh, at its core, Amber, I, I really, I, I think it's a movement. We're, or we're trying to create a movement, right? We're, we're trying to um, really get people excited about the idea that we should be embracing a culture of accuracy, that we should be embracing the idea that truth matters, uh, and we should be embracing the idea that critical thinking can make a difference. So this really is uh, the first phase of this of this uh, initiative, which is, you know, national initiative, great partners all across the country um, involving scientists and uh, incredible science communicators uh, like you. <laughs> the, goal, the goal is really to share good content, you know, to, to get the good content, the stuff that is from credi- credible sources, primarily right now about COVID and, and COVID vaccines that we hope to expand. Uh, and, and getting it out there on all these different platforms. And, and we know from research that this will make a difference and can make a difference. So we want to sort of enlist as many people who are interested. We want tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. We want students and we want healthcare providers and we want teachers and we want people who are just passionate about, about, these, about these things to, to get involved and I think it also gives uh, gives people a way to get involved, right? It really mobilizes the Canadian community and hopefully the international community to help in the fight against misinformation.
0: And I think you hit on something, too, describing who is part of this group and how extensive that that family of sorts is. Because if you think about it, for a lot of people who maybe are sharing things and and really don't know if it's truth or not, they haven't really had a place to go or kind of a movement to be part of. So I hope through this that that's exactly what we'll see, is that people can turn to this collection of scientists and communicators and, and be able to kind of sift through some of the misinformation that they see online.
1: You're right. And, and I hope that's my hope, too, you know, that there's a sort of a one place that people can go to get the basic facts on, on a lot of topics. But right now we're really focusing, as I said, on on the vaccine rollout. Uh, so you have that as a resource, uh, but also a resource for communication. And, and the other thing is it brings together this this family, right? This this team. So people feel like they're part of a broader community that is trying to do important work.
0: Timothy Caulfield, professor of health law and science policy. If you're interested in learning more about fighting misinformation, head on over to scienceupfirst.com to join the battle. That's it for today's episode of The Amber Max Show. Thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying this series, please leave us a review in your favorite podcast store. Thanks and stay safe.